I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for TGIF, May 12th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, Peak Pals, so for your fact of the day, the New York Times added 190,000 subscribers last quarter. That's a lot of subscribers for now, the world's most subscribed to newspaper. And if anything, Jay, it's motivating me to work a little bit harder, because we've got a, a long way to go. Yes, but you're also not the New York Times, and you have a pretty good slice of probably 190,000 of those people. But as well, they almost lost one with me. They deleted my Quirkle, not Quirkle, Wordle stats, which you know I'm religious about, and that really hurt. I think I did ask you, Jay, about whether Wordle actually, if you thought it had the staying power to so you'd keep playing it until now, and it sounds like you still do. I stopped playing Wordle a year and a half ago. Yeah, I've done over 215 of them. So yeah, I'm working, I mean, I was working on a 60 plus day streak, which then ended and now I'm on like a four day streak, so. Okay, so look, if you work at the New York Times and you're listening to this, please help Jay. But I will say, just a quick announcement, the Peak Daily is now getting about 112,000 downloads every month. So we're not too far away. I know the subscribers and downloads, that's all different. But to me, we're both in the six figure club and that's what matters. You know what's more fun? Tell me. This. This is more fun than anything in the New York Times. Absolutely. Easily. Nope. This is all the news that's fit to hear in seven minutes is the Peak Daily Podcast. Brett, aside from the subscriber levels of the New York Times, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, SoftBank lost a lot of money. For our second story, there could be a new international space station. And for our third story, Canada's search for healthcare workers continues. For our first story on this Friday, only SoftBank Group would lose $7.2 billion U.S. and give itself a pat on the back. But how do they lose so much money? Well, we'll start with a refresher. SoftBank posted a record quarterly loss of $23 billion last year after a spending spree that CEO Masayoshi's son described as delirious. A year earlier, in 2021, the company poured billions into startups, including buy now, pay later company Klarna, while riding on the high of soaring valuations within its portfolio of technology companies. This is all after SoftBank's Saudi-backed Vision Fund lost about $18 billion in 2020 after some of its biggest investments turned sour. Think of like, you know, WeWork and Uber. Well, Uber is still a very lucrative public company. It bounced back, yes. But But if you're wondering how SoftBank can afford to exercise the same level of control as your buddy who doesn't know when to quit it at the blackjack table, it's thanks to a massive stake in Alibaba. By selling off shares, the company has been able to ride out the losses in its two Vision Funds and most recently, invest resources into everyone's new obsession, AI. After that $23 billion loss, SoftBank raked in an equal profit by selling Alibaba shares, ending the year with billions in total losses, down from $15.6 billion a year earlier. SoftBank is also prepping for a U.S. initial public offering of ARM, with Sun stepping away from public view to focus on revenue growth following a loss in the last quarter. Here's the bottom line. SoftBank has exposure in all the wrong places, mostly high-growth technology companies in the midst of an environment of still pretty high inflation, high interest rates, and geopolitical tensions that are increasingly involving China. But as the company sells its stake in once $200 billion stake in Alibaba, its buffer for bad investment decisions, well, it's dwindling, Brett. For our second story, space startup Vast partnered with Elon Musk's SpaceX to launch a school bus-sized space station into orbit by 2025 as more private companies race to capture low-orbit real estate. How's this all going to happen, James? That's a pretty good question. The International Space Station, a bright beacon of multilateral cooperation, is said to be retired by 2030 and gracefully crash into the Pacific Ocean. We hope it's gracefully, at least. NASA wants private companies to step up for the next gen of low-orbit space stations, both to save themselves the headache 
technique of running things and as a means to open up the space economy. Now, in 2021, NASA awarded $415 million to four companies, including Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin, to help fund their private space stations. Fast was not among the recipients, but per the company's president, aims to receive NASA funding by 2028. And it matters because private space stations would be one giant leap for commercializing space, which could bring benefits to us earthbound folks. One space policy expert told the Daily Beast that initial commercial pursuits will likely involve companies observing the globe from sellable data regarding important issues like climate change, land use, migration, and war. After that, private industry will turn its attention to getting humans into space. Hello to fancy space resorts. I hope they're all inclusive and tapping into the potential of resource rich moon. Well, they better be all inclusive because it's really hard to find an ATM on the moon. Yeah. There you go. But in the short term, it could be hard to draw up dollars outside of NASA amidst the ongoing private capital slump. Investors are currently acting more risk averse. And let's just say that space tech company founded by crypto billionaire doesn't exactly scream low risk right now, especially when the recent track record of private space launches, well, it hasn't been too expiring if you remember a few weeks ago. For our third story, Canada's search for healthcare workers. I wish we were saying it's over, but Brett, it's continuing. That's right, Jay. So to catch you up, so far this year, several provinces have enacted changes to licensing requirements for foreign-trained and out-of-province healthcare professionals in order to practice. In Alberta, nurses registered in the Philippines, India, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, Nigeria, Jamaica, New Zealand, and Ireland now only need to pass the entrance exam to obtain a license. BC's new Nursing Community Assessment Service has removed financial barriers to entry for foreign-trained nurses and created a new licensing process lasting four to nine months instead of three years. The four Atlantic provinces, for their part, launched a regional licensing system for doctors that, for a $500 fee, allows them to practice without needing to go through the licensing process for each province individually, which seems kind of burdensome. Yeah, and since the changes, Alberta has registered two and a half times more nurses in the past two months than it has in the last four years combined. While BC has received more than five times the applications from foreign trained nurses so far this year than it did all last year. And here's why it matters. Per the most recent stats can data, the healthcare sector contended with the highest number of job vacancies of any sector at the end of last year. That's 143,695 job vacancies to be exact. That's pretty exact, which is a 221% jump from the same period five years ago. The bottom line is this. While an application doesn't automatically equate to a new nurse or doctor, the onslaught of healthcare professionals feeling empowered to work in Canada is a good sign for a country that desperately needs more of them. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a good day, Peak Pals, and go ice hockey team of Toronto, go. When you give me shock waves.